Our next Old Testament passage is another, uh, another passage from the law. You know, I've been telling Tim for years, so I've got my 45-minute sermon on Leviticus ready, and today's Leviticus text. So uh, this, I got, I, got 40, I got 45 minutes in me, Tim, at least. <laughs> Our text is Leviticus chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. When he had finished atoning for the holy place, in the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, sending it away to the wilderness by means of someone designated for the task. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a barren region, and the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That's the, you've, you've heard the, exa- the phrase scapegoat. There's the biblical foundation for that concept of the scapegoat. But uh, I'm in a season right now of ministry where I've, I've got so many weddings going on. I had a wedding last night. I've just got a lot of weddings. Is that time of year? So I've got a lot of different weddings and, and counseling sessions going on. So I've actually had to create a little, create a little spreadsheet to kind of know, where, okay, I've talked to this person about this. I've talked to this person about this and kind of, kind of getting it all straight. So I kind of know if I'm coming or going sometimes with all the weddings that are kind of happening right now. But when I, when I do, when I do, premarital counseling with a couple. I typically like to do about three sessions. One session is for them to get to know me and me to get to know them. Sometimes meeting with the preachers like uh, getting called the principal's office. You're kind of afraid. So I like to let them know I don't bite unless I'm hungry. Um, And so that's fun. And then the last session, we kind of plan out all the movements of the wedding and all that. But session two is kind of where the hard work happens. And that's where we do some some premarital counseling. I like to take this session and sometimes we spread it into a couple of sessions. I think I've shared with you some of the the meat of it. But basically, I tell couples there's three areas you're going to fight about. You're going to fight about what I call the three F's. Family, finances, and faith. Family, well, that's not the way my mama did it. Family. Finances, I want to buy that. I don't care we don't have the money. Finances and faith. Jesus has got to tie it all together. And I tell these couples when I do premarital counseling with them, I always tell them there's one, well, it all, all the marriage kind of can, can get distilled into one major concept. Compromise and communicate. Compromise and communicate. If you compromise and communicate, it'll all work out. But I tell them, you have to love your spouse more than you love being right. Because sometimes you're right. (laughs) You know, you're right. For me, for me, that's very rare. That's once a blue moon. By by you, I mean, you know, like the royal you, not me. Duh, y'all know me. I'm just glad to be here. You know, after last night at 3.30, when we had me, Holly, uh, all the kids, the dogs, and the cat in the computer room, I'm like, Lord, if you want to take us, I'm good. Like, this is, this, this is the way to go. So, you know, um, you, gotta, you, gotta, you got to love your spouse more than you love being right. Because sometimes you want to hold on to it. You want to hold on to it. Because you're right. And they're wrong. And you want to hold on to it. But you got to let it go. 
Sometimes you got to say you're sorry. We don't even mean it. Because you love your spouse more than you love being right. There's a song I like. It, it was a song. There's a, some of you may remember an old Christian group called Cademan's Call. One of the guys that was one of the singers in that group kind of went off on his own, and he wrote a song that I just, I found it a few years back, and I just love it. I, I really listen to this song at least once a week because I just think the message is so powerful. It's such a good, 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 good concept. Uh, the name of the song is entitled, I Was Wrong, I'm Sorry, and I Love You. He said he was taught as a young child, you say those three phrases, and you can keep any relationship going. I was wrong. I'm sorry, and I love you. And I think those phrases are so true for every relationship we're in, for everything we do, to understand that concept of of forgiveness and apology and reconciliation. I grew up in a small town, and there's a a lot of good and bad with growing up in a small town like Boga Chittam. One of the the good things about it is um, everybody knows you. So you go places, and everybody knows you, and you always have a, a home, you always have a meaning, you always got a purpose, you never feel alone, like you always feel like people love you, and they know you, because they always know who you are. So in a small town, one of the great things is everybody knows who you are. One of the bad parts about going up in a small town is everybody knows who you are. And so when you get in trouble, it tends to beat you home. So I'd get in trouble in school one, uh, happened once, Tim, one whooping in school, just once. I'd get in trouble in school, and it would beat me home. And then you know what happens when trouble at school beats you home, when you get a whooping at school. You know what's waiting for you when you get home, right? You get a whooping from your mom or your daddy when you get home. So I might be crazy, but I ain't stupid. So you'd have to get your, in Bogachita, you'd have to get your discipline slip signed to Verify you told your parents you were stupid. So, you know, I, I, well, I'm not going to let them see it because then I'm going to get another whooping. Come on, seriously? So me being the genius that I am, I hide the discipline slip between my mat, under my mattress. Mom would never look there, obviously. So put it under the mattress, and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I got this. And, of course, criminal genius Andy Stoddard, I get caught. But something happened when I got caught. Other than the fact that I got a whooping by my mama and my daddy and my granny. And basically everybody on the road lined up and whooped me is what I felt like. <laughs> the strangers, you know, just was a whoop, you know. But in that period where I hid the, the, the discipline slip from my parents, I felt such guilt. Because I knew I'd done wrong. And I knew I was in trouble. And I actually in the back of my mind, knew I was going to get caught. But in that period between when I did what was wrong and I got in my consequences, I was filled with such guilt because I knew that I was wrong and I knew that I was in trouble and, and I wasn't feeling guilty because because of what I, because I was going to get caught. I felt guilty because I'd done wrong. And so it was just this this swirl of emotion, of guilt I was feeling in my heart. And I actually was relieved in some way when I got caught. Because then I could stop lying. 
Then I could stop pretending it was okay. Then I could get my consequences, get my whooping, get my grounding, and move on. There was almost a relief that came when I got caught. We all, in our life, we all in our life have that sense of guilt. From things that we've done that nobody knows. Your neighbors don't know. Your mama doesn't know. Your daddy doesn't know. Your preacher doesn't know. Nobody knows. But the Lord knows. It ain't just the Lord that knows. You know. You know. And that knowledge of what we've done wrong, that knowledge of what we tried to hide, that knowledge of what gives us shame, that knowledge of that mistake, we tend to, we tend to hide it, we tend to swallow it. And what happens when we swallow our guilt is one of two things happens. One is that guilt will gnaw at our souls. And we will grow in time to despise ourselves because we will feel so guilty. We will feel so unworthy. We will feel so unworthy of God's love. So we grow in time to to despise ourselves. We grow in time to feel unworthy of knowing God's love. Or the other thing that happens is we internalize that guilt and we project it upon others. So we become very judgmental or very angry with others for their failings. So that guilt, when it seeps into our soul, affects us in ways that we sometimes aren't even really even aware of. See, here's the thing. The Lord knows that. The Lord knows that's how guilt affects us. The Lord knows that's how these things affect us. And so when you look across the whole of Scripture, you see that so much of Scripture, so many things that happen in Scripture are about God giving us a way to experience forgiveness. So we see it in the Old Testament. We see it today. We see it in the sacrificial system explicitly over and over and over and over again. But then you see it today in the story of the the scapegoat. By the way, that poor goat, he's just sitting there minding his business, eating, doing goat things. And the next thing he knows, he's in front of the entire community with all the sins of the community placed upon his head and him sent out. He's like, I'm just a goat minding my business. And now I've got all this on me. But the priest would take all the iniquities, take all the sins, all the stuff that the people had done, the things that everybody knew about and the things no one knew about, and placed it upon the goat. And that goat would symbolically be sent out into the wilderness to show that there is redemption and there is forgiveness for sins. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Then we see in the New Testament, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The iniquities of us all was placed upon Jesus Christ. And he became the atonement and the forgiveness 
for all of us. Not in a metaphorical or symbolic way, but in a literal way. And upon him was placed the sins of all of us. Your sins, my sins, the sins of the world, all of us. And he went to the cross and he suffered and he bled to atone for our mistakes. To atone, to make right, to forgive our faults. So that we don't have to beat ourselves up anymore. And we don't have to have our souls slowly die anymore. But that we could know we are forgiven. Of course, we know that the, uh, spoiler alert, we know that the cross is not the end. We know Easter's coming, but we'll get there in a few weeks. Come back. Trust me, you don't want to miss that. I mean, Easter's on April Fool's Day this year, y'all. Come on, seriously. That sermon writes itself. I mean, come on. Seriously. I like Lent. I do. You may have noticed in our worship the last few weeks during Lent, we, we've not said a creed each week. We did say the Apostles' Creed. Uh, well, we, said, we had a baptism at 11 o'clock. In early service, we, had, we said the Apostles' Creed. Likewise, next week, we have a baptism at 8.30. And so we'll say the Apostles' Creed in here because the Apostles' Creed is the creed of baptism. It is a baptismal creed. So that's why when we say the Apostles' Creed, we're basically, every time we do that, we're reaffirming our baptism. So I love that concept. But during the season of Lent, instead of saying the Apostles' Creed or another one of our creeds, we have each week a time of confession. We say, Lord, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We've not done your will. We've not heard the cry of the knees. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. You know, we say that prayer during our communion liturgy as well. But we, 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 we say these things to God. We confess our sins to God. We have a chance. We have a chance each Sunday in Lent to slow down, to stop in the midst of the craziness of life, in the business of life. Each Sunday in Lent, we have this chance to stop and go to God and say, God, I am sorry. I've hid this from you. I've hid this from others, and I am sorry. And we do it not so you beat yourself up. We do it not so you feel bad. We do it not so you feel rejected. But we do it so you can hear what comes after the end of the confession. It is the pardon where we say that in Jesus' name and by Jesus' power and by Jesus' strength, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Not by your strength, and not by your power, and not by your might, and not by the preacher, and not by anyone else, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. And his love ran red at the cross, at the cross. I surrender my life through the power of Jesus Christ. Life, death, and resurrection, you are forgiven. We get to tell God every Sunday, I was wrong, I'm sorry, and I love you. 
you are forgiven. And here's the thing, y'all. If there's one thing you have to do other than receive that forgiveness, then you're saying Jesus didn't do enough. You're, you're saying, well, it's not Jesus equals forgiveness. It's Jesus plus me equals forgiveness. The only thing you have to do is accept that forgiveness. You are forgiven through the power of Jesus Christ. You don't have to keep walking it. You don't have to keep carrying it. That shame, that fear, that doubt It is paid for by Jesus. He went to the cross for that. He was resurrected for that. And so that life would triumph. You are forgiven. That's hard to hear sometimes. It doesn't make sense. Grace never makes sense. Grace is not earned. It's received. Grace is not a wage. A wage is something that you earn. Grace is something that you receive, not because you're good or perfect or whatever. You receive it because you are his. You are loved. The thing with it is, too, with forgiveness, it's interesting. Sometimes it's, it's hard to receive forgiveness. It's interesting. I know this isn't you, but some people. Um, to accept forgiveness... Like we don't want to sometimes. We won't we 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 hold on to our sin because well he can't forgive me. Look what I've done. Look at the mistakes I've done. Look at the stuff that I've done that no one else knows about. Look at the failures I've had. Look at these things. How can he forgive me? Look at what I have done in my life. There's no way he can forgive me. When that thought comes up, when you think that. Oh, there's no way he can forgive me. You need to understand what you're saying. Oh, so you're the one. Oh, okay. You're the one whose sins are bigger than the blood of Jesus. No. He de- if, if he can forgive Peter, who denied him three times, he can forgive you. If he can forgive Paul, who tried to kill literally every Christian, he can forgive you. If he can forgive Moses, who killed a guy, he can forgive you. If he can forgive all these saints of the Old Testament, he and the New Testament, he can forgive you. There is no sin too great for Jesus. There is no sin that is stronger than the blood of Jesus. And there is no sin that he cannot redeem. Through the blood, through the life, through the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. We just got to accept it. We got to let go. Because the old is always breathing right on the back of our necks, isn't it? We feel like we can't let go of it. But that's what Christ died for. That's what he came for, so that we can be forgiven. You are forgiven. As forgiven people, may we forgive each other. Because that's even harder. The only thing harder than accepting forgiveness sometimes is giving it.
but as those who have experienced grace, who have experienced the power of Christ to redeem and restore our brokenness. May we be the people in this world that change things. Because that's where change comes. <laughs> Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, talks about this. How the only way to end cycles of violence, cycles of hatred, is for someone who has been redeemed from that to say, no, not for me. Not any longer. Not anymore. I, I've been redeemed. And I've been forgiven. And I lay down my arms because I've been forgiven. Today, through the power of Jesus, no matter what you've done, you've been forgiven. May we accept that forgiveness. Through the power of Jesus, may we give that forgiveness to others. I was wrong. I'm sorry, and I love you. May that be one of the creeds of our life. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for grace and for mercy and for forgiveness. May we love you and love each other with all that we are. We love you so much. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen. Today our closing and invitational hymn is going to be hymn number 371, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. We'll do, hymn, we'll do verses 1, 4, and 5 of this hymn. Today, if you've never made the decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is a great day to put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. Perhaps you'd like to, learn, you'd like to join our church. I would love to talk to you about how you can become a member of St. Matthew's. Perhaps you'd just like to come pray at the altar. Perhaps there's some sin that you're tired of carrying, that you know you've been forgiven of, but you know you need to lay down at the altar. Today is the day to lay that at the altar. Perhaps there's someone you need to forgive, that you need to come lay that at the altar. Today's the day to lay it. Perhaps you just need to come pray. But this morning, no matter where you find yourself, Jesus Christ is here with us. Won't you come? I stand amazed.